Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So how you doing, you party animal? You're a party animal is what you are. I know what you're getting at, and I don't like it. Well, it's just that, uh, was it, the Impact Festival Yeah. Uh, came to uh, our area this weekend. Mm-hmm. We have a great concert venue right on the waterfront sure. uh, here in Maine. So you're, you've been a Slayer fan forever, mm-hmm. and you had... Uh, you discovered, you heard that, that Slayer was coming as part of the Impact Festival. Very excited about it. Absolutely. You talked about it and talked about it and I uh, want to go see Slayer. I haven't seen Slayer. Slayer! Slayer! Like that. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> but it sold out pretty quickly and uh, you kind of lamented that you didn't act quicker and get tickets. And then it was like, well, but I didn't really want to go to the whole festival. I just wanted to see Slayer like that mm-hmm. um so slayer played last night and you get home after work and it's about 5 30 and your phone goes bleep, bleep, and uh, it was your friend uh was it nakia mm-hmm. she had an extra ticket to, yep. to go see slayer yeah. so how was the show man you you uh you tell a beautiful tale uh-huh um, so you you uh, you declined to go. I did decline to go. Yes, I'd had a long week, and mm-hmm. I am ninety in my heart and in my soul. And <laughs> uh, I was home for Jeopardy, so yeah, it really worked out okay. You talked about going to see Slayer. You yeah. were really excited that they mm-hmm. were coming to town. Somebody yeah. said I got a free ticket, yeah. and you declined. And what you ended up doing yeah. was uh, staying home and watching Jeopardy. Um, You're a party I know, animal. I know you think it's funny, um, 
But I'm going to take this opportunity to also point out that uh, this week I went to the doctor and I was prescribed anti-anxiety medication um, for the extreme anxiety that I had regarding, uh, you know, some transitions in my life and uh, seeing as how I have PTSD from interesting goings on in my childhood, you know, it, uh, it was something that I needed to address and maybe had a, a more rugged week than I had intended leading up to Slayer. Way to bring the party down. I'm just saying, you know, I hope you feel really, really bad. Yeah, but Slayer! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you're starting to, to, to get up there in years when an exciting evening involves a bowl of good soup. All right, so it's the box of oddities. Mm-hmm. You go first. Is it my turn to go first? Okay, okay. All right, so, okay, <clears throat> okay. The White House. Yes. It is a building that uh, we all know about, and we know that a lot of interesting things have gone on there. Um, and so I thought we would explore a little bit of some of the interesting goings on within the White House. <gasps> Are you going to touch on the haunted nature of the White House? I may. Okay. I may. I see you've got a long list of things. The White House. I feel like um, that Ken Burns uh, flutie music should play. Like, it was a sunny morning, December 23rd, 1842. <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. Well done, by the way. Um, so John Adams and his wife, Abigail, were the first presidential couple to move into the White House. It was not finished yet, but they moved in anyway. It was uh, the year 1800, and so they became the nation's first couple to live there. During the War of 1812, British soldiers invaded the White House in 1814 and set it aflame in retaliation for U.S. soldiers who were torching buildings in Ontario. That fire completely destroyed the interior and the roof of the building, and James Madison called for immediate reconstruction, of course. He actually summoned the return of the original designer, James Hoban. Uh, Madison and his wife were not able to return to the White House, but reconstruction was completed in time for newly elected president James Monroe to move in, and that was in 1817. All right. The White House has been referred to as the President's Palace, the Executive Mansion, the President's House, among other terms, but it wasn't formally deemed the White House until President Theodore Roosevelt no. used it on his stationery in 1901. Really? Some theorists say that the name originated after the big fire, when the smoke-stained walls were then painted over white, although historians state that this is largely unfounded. So Teddy Roosevelt just came up with it and thought it was a like a, a, a neat little positioning statement for his stationery? I don't know what the logic was there. a marketing there. ploy by the Bull Moose Party? I love Bull Moose. If you're not familiar with Bull Moose, it's a great music store in Bangor, Maine, which is where we reside, in case you weren't aware. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, although it's relatively modest in terms of today's sprawling mansions, the White House was the country's biggest house 
until after the American Civil War, which I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was actually the largest house in the nation. It had 132 rooms and 35 bathrooms on six levels, as well as 412 doors. I don't know why I think that's interesting, but... It it doesn't even today look big enough to have that many bathrooms. doesn't. Anyway, it's a big house. Yeah. And it's been home to more than just presidents. President John F. Kennedy welcomed a slew of animals into the White House, including birds, hamsters, rabbits, dogs, cats, horses. Like right into the Oval Office? I don't think so, but the Kennedys do seem like the type to have horses. Yes, they do. Right? Yeah. Thomas Jefferson kept two bear cubs. Uh, Martin Van Buren had a pair of tiger cubs, which had been given to him by the Sultan of Oman. Um, Congress actually forced him to send those to the zoo. (laughs) Hey, 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 didn't you read your lease? No pets. William Henry Harrison kept both a billy goat and a cow at the White House. But he did that for fresh milk. President James Buchanan had a pair of bald eagles among his array of puppies, ponies, and fish. Which president was it that had the hippopotamus? Calvin Coolidge's pygmy hippo. Yeah, his name was Billy. Calvin Coolidge had a hippo named Billy. I love that. It's a great name for a hippo. When you're mad at him, you can call him William. (laughs) Spit take. (laughs) All right. As you mentioned, it might be haunted. Abigail Adams, the the first lady to live in the White House. The first first lady. The first first lady to live in the White House um, is rumored to linger ever since her demise. Her ghost is said to hang laundry in the East Room on occasion. Another first lady, Dolly Madison, has reportedly been quite territorial with White House renovations. During her husband's term, Dolly oversaw the landscaping of the Rose Garden. And that's, you know, where often you'll see the presidents doing the press conferences and stuff like that. Um, But when Woodrow Wilson's wife tried to have the garden dug up, the story goes that Dolly's ghost appeared and instructed the workers not to tear up her beloved garden. And they didn't. Well, I I can't really blame them because one would be well advised to heed the stern warnings of the otherworldly presence of Dolly Madison. Well, yeah, plus it's just respectful. She's still first lady. Not anymore. I think you're always first lady once you're a first lady. Like you're always a president once you're the president. You're a former first lady. You're a former president. You you still called Mr. President. Sure, I guess. Right? That's true. Is it? But how many firsts can you have? You're not a first lady and you're a former first lady. I mean, I understand your point. Uh I just don't think that it's cool to be rude. That's all I'm saying is don't be rude to Dolly Madison. I love Dolly Madison and her snack cakes. <laughs> okay. Andrew Jackson's ghost is rumored to hang out in the Red Room. Uh, people claim to have seen Abraham Lincoln's ghost ambling down the halls and staring out of windows. You know, it's funny. I do picture Abraham Lincoln's ghost as an ambler. Yeah. You know? Just kind of farting around the house. Yeah. 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 Rummaging through your drawers, looking for shit. <laughs> He seems like the inquisitive type. Sure, sure. <laughs> Everyone's got a junk drawer. Yeah, let me see. What that. you got in yours? I, you got any Advil? I got a terrible headache. Oh. Too soon? 
This is kind of cool. The White House website during George W. Bush's presidency once had a page devoted to its ghost sightings. The stories of those ghost sightings uh, spotted by notable residents like Eleanor Roosevelt and Jimmy Carter's daughter. Um, speaking of George W. Bush, he once banned jeans from the Oval Office. Jeans? Yes. Apparently, the dress code in the Oval Office had become too lax for him, mm. and he said that it was disrespectful. Theodore Roosevelt, very popular in my storytellings today, uh, his daughter, Alice, who was the oldest daughter, uh, reportedly buried a voodoo doll of Nellie Taft in the White House lawn. Why? Well... William Howard Taft was her father's successor. And successor? Successor. Successor. I always get them confused. Mm. And so she buried a voodoo doll of his wife as a hex. Huh. Because, you know, apparently that's just how she rolled. And Would they, would they allow me um, onto the White House property with a metal detector? <laughs> I would love to find that. I don't think you'd find a voodoo doll with a metal detector. It had pins in it, wouldn't it? (laughs) Uh, Alice Roosevelt also, by the way, called Woodrow Wilson a whey-blooded schoolmaster. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She was banned from the White House for two administrations after her father's. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No one makes a voodoo doll of Nellie Taft and gets away with it. I tell ya. That's the the fifth album <laughs> from lion to the die <laughs> uh yeah okay so to wrap up this 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 fun business of white house goings on i wanted to tell this story which isn't as maybe creepy as the ghost stories and it's maybe not as uh, funny as the banning jeans and by the way going back to that yeah of all the presidents, I would have thought that W would have been the one to encourage jeans Right? Wear. Right? You wear jeans on the ranch. Sure. Right? Yeah. Oh, also, up until I think it was 93, during the Clinton administration, smoking everywhere in the White House was cool, including at White House dinners. And it wasn't until 1993 when Bill and Hillary removed all the ashtrays <laughs> from White House dining tables and said, nope, no more smoking during dinner. I mean, I loved smoking, and mm-hmm. I miss it. Yeah, I, right. I pine for it. Sure, often, but you don't. Um, but I do not like smoking during dinner. It's gross. That's where I put my foot down. That's a good place to plant one's foot. Thank you. So anyway, your final story. All right, one final touching upon Theodore Roosevelt, which now, as I'm saying it, sounds much weirder than I intended it to. <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt was a conservationist. Sure. Loved the outdoors. Loved trees so much, in fact, uh, that he established 150 national forests as president and saw the Christmas tree tradition as contributing to deforestation. So he refused to have a live tree in the White House. He didn't impress, doesn't, he doesn't impress me as the kind of guy who would uh, not have a Christmas tree. Unfortunately for Teddy. His sneaky kids were not fans of the house rules. So eight-year-old Archibald enlisted White House staff to help him sneak a Christmas tree into a closet (laughs) that on Christmas morning, 1902, he revealed to the family, (laughs) complete with presents underneath. 
It's a Christmas miracle. Isn't that the sweetest story? <laughs> I just great. think that's so cute. I just picture like, uh, you know, a young Lindsay Lohan meets Sinbad style comedy about uh, Secret Service helping the young president's kid get I'm a Christmas dreaming, tree. <laughs> I'm dreaming of a White House Christmas. Right? Yeah. It's like I'd a like, like a like an uh, ABC Family movie, right? <laughs> My monologue is from ABC Family's "A House Without a Christmas Tree." <laughs> okay, <clears throat> sorry. That's all right. It was beautiful. Mary Catherine Gallagher, and that's just some of the fun, weird stuff about the White House. You've had that bag of M and M's in front of you the entire time. And, and you've resisted eating them until now. I'm quite uh, impressed with your... They're just helping me with my stamina. Mm-hmm. I'm 90. And now, the Box of Oddities brings you That Thing in the Middle. All right, That Thing in the Middle. This episode, it's uh, the most unusual celebrity will requests. Number five, wardrobe requirements. Charles Dickens was really particular about wardrobes. He requested that, quote, those attending my funeral wear no scarf, cloak, black bow, long hat band, or other such revolting absurdity. My funeral, I'm going to require everybody to wear swim fins. Number four, Napoleon, uh, he had issues. (laughs) (laughs) That's an understatement. Yeah, he requested that his head be shaved after his death. And his hair divided up amongst his friends. Evenly, of course. Number three. Harry Houdini, always with a trick up his sleeve, at the time of his death asked Bess, his wife, to hold a seance every year to try to contact his spirit. They even had a secret code so she'd know it was him. Marilyn Monroe did not uh, have the foresight to leave her legacy to her family. Instead, she left all of her personal effects to her acting coach, Lee Strasberg. And all of her stuff sat in his basement, mildewing until he died. And number one, Dusty Springfield. She left very specific instructions in her will about her cat. Her cat, Nicholas, was to be fed imported baby food, live in an indoor treehouse, be sung to sleep at night with Dusty's old records, and have his bed lined with her pillowcase and nightgown. He was also, by the way, to get married to a friend's female cat. All of her wishes came true. Coming to you from the very tip of North America, this is The Box of Oddities. Tell me a story, handsome man. All right, today I'm going to talk about the genius Nikola Tesla. Ooh. But he wasn't just a genius. He was a weirdo. <laughs> he was That is accurate. He was a genius weirdo. Yeah, they so often are. We're going to uh, we're going to investigate both sides of that uh today. He was born July 10th, 1856 and lived until January 7th of uh 1943. That's actually a pretty long life. About 86 years, something like that. And uh, he, uh, he was a Serbian-American inventor, an electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, a physicist, a futurist, and he's best known for his contributions to the design of modern AC electrical supply system. Now, he, you may have heard the stories how he got into a big fight. He actually worked for Edison for a while, mm-hmm. and then he left to develop his own electrical system, which didn't really make Edison very happy. Uh, And so Edison went out of his way to try to destroy Tesla and to promote how dangerous, potentially dangerous AC was. And that's why he helped 
invent the electric chair. Edison uh, said, hey, you know, you could use this to kill people. And uh, then he also electrocuted an elephant to show how dangerous AC was. Yeah. Pretty embarrassing time for history. Yeah. He then went on to sign a deal with, with George Westinghouse to develop the AC power. And he signed a pretty lucrative contract. It was almost too lucrative because it was putting Westinghouse out of business. So in order to keep his work going, Tesla tore the contract up. Oh. He just gave away millions and millions and millions of potential dollars. Just tore it up. Said, ah, that's, I just want to make sure that people have AC. But he was responsible for so many major life-changing uh, discoveries and inventions that he doesn't really get credit for. I'm reading about Topsy. Topsy is the elephant. So Topsy was going to be put to death anyway. Originally, I guess Topsy had killed a few people. And originally, uh, they decided that he was going to be put to death by hanging. How do you hang an elephant? Seriously? Really? Anyway, um, so it was kind of just a, uh, well, this works for you and this works for me kind of deal that Edison made where he could... Uh electrocute that elephant there's actually film footage of it it's horrible it's horrifying don't watch it but alternating current electricity was only one of the uh, discoveries and or inventions that he came up with that changed our world for example um he invented uh fluorescent light bulbs oh well thanks for making me look horrible (laughs) he used them in his laboratories did the gentle hum keep him focused? I think that it certainly would. It also, in effect, uh, helped create the first neon signs. Sure, by that using makes sense. Different types of, of gases. It was his Tesla coil that might be the most impressive and controversial. The coil, certainly uh, uh, something that big industry would have liked to suppress, because the concept is that the Earth itself is a giant magnet that can generate electricity. And he thought, well, I can develop a transmitter to to harness this electricity and uh, distribute it to the world for little or no money at all. And of course, well, you know, power companies didn't like that idea. Sure, no. That that was kind of the beginning of the end for him. People uh, were angling at that point to shut him down and portray him as a a crackpot. Um, He also was involved in the discovery of x-rays. And this was in the late 1800s. He worked with Curly in photography, which has uh, the ability to document life force. I'm sorry, what now? Curly in photography. You've not seen that? It's like it takes pictures of uh, auras and and energy. If you photograph your hand, you'll see like a an electronic field around it. And, Is that and a, a real thing? It's a real thing. Yeah. I don't know. Are you sure it's not just like... It sounds like mumbo jumbo, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah no. It it's, 100% does. Yeah. No, apparently, it's, it, it is real. I've actually seen some. Curlian photography. I'm Googling it right now. Marconi was initially credited for the invention of radio, mm-hmm. but uh, in 1943, about the time that Mark, uh, that uh, Tesla died, the Supreme Court overturned Marconi's patent and said uh, that Tesla invented the radio years previous to Marconi. Uh, radio signals were just another frequency that needed a transmitter and a receiver. This is according to activistpost.com. Tesla demonstrated in 1893 during a presentation before the National Electric Light Association a radio transmitter and receiver. He applied for two patents in 1897. In 1904, the U.S. Patent Office reversed its decision awarding Marconi a patent for the invention of radio, possibly influenced by Marconi's financial backers in the States. Uh Aha. Yeah. 
who included Thomas Edison and Andrew Carnegie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This also allowed the U.S. government, among others, to avoid having to pay royalties that were claimed by Nikola Tesla. Mm-hmm. So he got screwed. He also invented a, a remote control. Like for a car or like... For, for a model boat. Demonstrated in 1898, it utilized several large batteries, radio signals, controlled switches, uh, which then energized the boat's propeller and rudder. And so... That's super cool. Yeah. In that, what year? 1898. That must have seemed like magic. Yeah. He invented the electric motor. He was involved in robotics. He stated, I have every thought and act of mine demonstrated that does and so daily to my absolute satisfaction that I am an automation endowed with power of movement, which merely responds to external stimuli. And uh, based on that, he said, we can build a robot that works like us. So forward thinking. He really was. Unbelievable. He was involved in uh, developing the laser. Laser. Frickin' laser. And he didn't get credit for so much of what he did, and, and a good portion of it was politically motivated, Sure, it seems. He was also a little bit weird, and I think that maybe that was used against him. He was eccentric. Mm-hmm. He was just a friggin' weirdo, really, is what it came down to. But in, in the best kind of way. He had a fear of pearls. He couldn't stand the sight of pearls, according to PBS.org. <laughs> to the extent that he refused to speak to a woman wearing them. When his secretary uh, wore pearls to work, he sent her home for the day. No one knows why he had such an aversion, but Tesla had a very particular sense of style and aesthetics, and he just hated the way that uh, pearls looked. I love that. He also wore white gloves to dinner every night, prided himself on being a, quote, dapper dresser. He also had a, um, a debilitating fear of germs. Wow. Turn of the century germaphobe. Not a real common thing. No. He was very forward thinking in his phobias. I guess he had a near fatal bout of cholera as a teenager, which led him to be excessively um, hygienic. He washed all that almost obsessively. He would he would wash. It is said that uh, he used 18 napkins to clean his place setting before his evening meal. There had to be 18 neatly folded napkins at his uh, play setting. So maybe had, in addition to being a germaphobe, a little OCD? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, there certainly seems to be an, an argument being made for that. He uh, went through a, um, a ritual of cleaning his dinnerware every night, and, and there had to be 18 of those napkins. He also suffered from chronic insomnia and had an obsessive compulsive behavior involving the number three. Well, it is the magic number. For example, when he, he was living in hotels toward the end of his life, and uh, he would have to walk around the block three times before he could go in the building. Oh, so he was most definitely OCD. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I thought maybe I was discovering something, but it turns out now it's just who he was. That's fine. In 1898, while working on some of his early radio equipment, he claims that he received intelligent broadcasts from outer space. Hmm. Now... Think about that. 1898, we're still 20 years away from uh, terrestrial radio being on the air. Right. There's nothing out there. He thought they were Martians. He assumed that it was a life form uh, or an intelligent life source on Mars, which I guess is understandable. 
There are those who now think it may have been what's called the Dark Knight satellite. Have you heard of this? I don't think so. It's a conspiracy theory that says that there is a, a satellite that's orbiting the Earth in a polar orbit and has been orbiting for like 12,000 years. And they think that, it, you know, there are those who think it's like some sort of, uh, you know, an alien observation platform or something mm -hmm. like that. There are some pictures that have showed up online. NASA says that, no, that's not what that is. That's like... Uh, an astronaut lost his jacket, you know, or so they had some kind of a, uh, oh. a reason for that. But anyway, the most likely explanation is that he probably picked up some radio signals from a pulsar, which spins in a very precise manner and uh, emits radio waves uh, very consistently, which make it appear as though they're from an intelligent source. But it's it's yeah, just nature. Could have sounded like uh, like boop, 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 boop. Dots and dashes. But here's the thing that I think is the most fascinating about Tesla. Tesla claimed that his inventions showed up in his imagination, fully formed, that he would think of them and he would visualize them and picture them in his head, completely done and functioning. Mm -hmm. And then he would reverse engineer it in his head. Okay. Like he was getting the diagrams from some outside source. Well, I don't know. That's kind of how I imagine things is done and then figure out how I can make that work. For instance, my invention for the cell phone holder and toilet stalls, that came from a noggin. <laughs> so you're comparing your bathroom stall cell phone holder to Tesla's pyromagneto electric generator. In a sense. Uh-huh. I just think it's fascinating that uh, the idea would come to him and he would picture it just completely done and then just take it apart in his mind and deduce how yeah. it worked. It's fully pretty, formed. Pretty amazing. He once shook the poop out of Mark Twain. I don't know what that means at all. Well, this is kind of a legend <laughs> surrounding Tesla. Uh, he had developed what he called an earthquake machine okay. in his Manhattan laboratory. That shook the building and nearly brought down the neighborhood during his experiments. Uh, his device wasn't actually an earthquake machine, but it was like sort of a high-frequency oscillator. Okay. It, uh, a piston set underneath a platform in the laboratory shook violently as it moved. It didn't bring the block to ruins, but uh, Mark Twain was visiting. And uh, Tesla's like, hey, Mark, check this out. Go stand on that platform. And so uh, Mr. Twain ambled over and stood on the platform and uh, Tesla turned it on and it started shaking. And apparently Mark was going through some intestinal discomfort at mm -hmm. the time and shit his pants. Oh, you got to give people a heads up when you're going to do stuff like that, I think. But to Twain's uh, credit, he lasted 90 seconds before jumping off the platform and running for the porcelain facilities. Now, as I mentioned, he was born July 10th, 1856. It was during a lightning storm, ironically. Interesting. And one of his mother's friends says, this is a bad sign. He's born during a lightning storm. He is going to be a child of darkness. And his mother allegedly said, no, he is going to be a child of light. And of course, one of the most famous photos of him is him sitting at his uh, his lab in Colorado with uh, lightning bolts all around him from the Tesla coils. Pretty much everybody has, has seen that. 
So it's pretty interesting. It became almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. For sure. When he died in uh, 1943 at the age of 86, he was alone, living alone in uh, room 3327 of the New Yorker Hotel. His body was found two days after he died by a maid who had ignored the do not disturb sign on his, uh, his door. The um, medical examiner said he, his death was due to coronary thrombosis. Two days after he died, the FBI ordered the alien property custodian to seize Tesla's belongings. Even though Tesla was an American citizen, he was a naturalized citizen. The FBI went in and just took all his shit. A professor at MIT, whose name was John G. Trump, he was a well-known electrical engineer serving as a technical aide to the National Defense Research Committee, was called in to analyze all of uh, Tesla's works, his papers, to make sure there was nothing in there that, that if released, could end up in enemy hands mm -hmm. and be developed into a weapon. His uh, thoughts were that primarily most of Tesla's work was speculative, philosophical, somewhat promotional in nature, and didn't really pose any kind of threat to anybody. But interestingly, they never released a big portion of it. Mm. Through the Freedom of Information Act, I guess 250 pages of it have been released, but there's still just huge reams of stuff that has not seen the light of day, and people wonder why. It could have been that one of his inventions in later years was what he called a death ray. Well, that just sounds cool. A very science fiction-y. He had developed some sort of a system that could disintegrate things it was just a light source. I, and I think a lot of that actually led to the development of the laser beam. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Do lasers not disintegrate you and kill you? I feel like they do. They burn through you, I think. Yeah. Well, they could. In 1952, following pressure from Tesla's nephew, Sava Kosanovic, Tesla's entire estate, what was left of it, was shipped to Belgrade in 80 trunks marked NT. In 57, Kosovic's secretary, Charlotte Muzar, transported Tesla's ashes from the United States to Belgrade. The ashes were displayed in a gold-plated sphere on a marble pedestal in the Nikola Tesla Museum. So kind of a sad end to a guy. He invented and discovered so many important things that uh, really led to today's life, not the least of which, in 1904, he pitched J.P. Morgan on a concept of collecting stock prices as well as news items and transmitting them wirelessly to handheld devices. He foresaw the iPhone, the smartphone. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. No, they're, just the concept that you would have that ability to carry something with you wirelessly that you could get information of that nature on is mind-blowing at that time. It's, it's really incredible. J.P. Morgan didn't see any value in it and uh, pulled all of his funding. That's why we have an iPhone and not a J.P. Morgan phone. <laughs> Incredibly sad that he gave so much and was taken advantage of and stolen from and died a, uh, a broken man feeding pigeons from his hotel window. Yeah, what was his deal with pigeons? He was obsessed with them. He just liked them? Yeah, he uh, even when he was dirt poor toward the end of his life, he uh, there was this one pigeon that ended up on his windowsill at the Hotel New Yorker. It was a white pigeon, and he, um, he loved this pigeon. It was wounded, and he spent what little money he had and any money he could get developing a... Um, some sort of an apparatus to ease this pigeon's pain. And, and I've heard estimates it could have cost as much as $2,000 that he didn't have to help this little pigeon. Mm. 
It seems weird that he had an obsession with germs, yet he's feeding pigeons from his window. Yeah, well, I mean, better than electrocuting him at a fair. <laughs> that's, a, that's a valid point. The Box of Oddities twice a week. We uh, love getting input from you. You can find us on social media. You can email us at curator at theboxofoddities.com. We love hearing from you. We love seeing your merch. If you uh, get yourself a Box of Oddities t-shirt or a, a freak flag or what have you, uh, we love seeing it on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now Goodreads, which you know you couldn't put your picture on, but you, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Until next time, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly. And so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Well, I don't have a fancy beverage. We should go get one. I agree. Yeah. Because you're fancy like that. You're fancy. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.